Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 30 of Season 4 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we take a hilariously poignant journey through the 1989 Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan rom-com When Harry Met Sally, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me to finish off week six, and unfortunately, this is his last day for, for a while. Maybe maybe he'll come back later. We'll have to wait and see if uh, you know anyone drops out on me and I have to try to wrangle him back in to maybe want to come talk with me again. I don't know. Is... Alan Sanders of the Alan Sanders Show. Welcome back to the show, Alan. Thank you so much for having me back and to wrap up the week. And you're right. I, I can't believe how fast this week has gone by. And I'm always interested in filling in or coming off the bench if anyone uh, has a problem and you need somebody. I, I, as you can tell, I enjoy talking. Yes. And, you know, you enjoy being surprised by me, you know, even though you know I, to be expected. <laughs> you know, you know what's to be expected, but you still get surprised. So why not? unlike others who might find it a little bit irritating or may even go, why, why do you keep doing this? I'm always like, OK, surprise me. What's going to happen today? <laughs> but before we talk about what's going to happen today, we have to give a little recap of what happened yesterday in order to continue with today. So first of all, minute 30 begins with Marie making a very bold statement and ends with Marie talking about fairy tales. Well, who knows what we're going to be talking about there? We'll have to we'll have to figure that out later in today's episode. So yesterday we ended things off. You know, Marie and uh, Sally are in Shakespeare and Co. They're they're in a very strange area of of the uh, bookstore because they have all these strange books all around them. They have a little bit of a conversation yesterday about Marie talking about you know how she found Arthur's. You know, that he spent $120 on a nightgown for his wife. You know, Arthur is her boyfriend, I guess you can say. She's his mistress. But I don't know how you would even, how do you even refer to that? You know, like, she's his mistress, but but he's her boyfriend? Because it can't be her. I don't know. Uh, I, I know how he probably describes her. <laughs> uh, probably. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> She's she's the idiot who keeps thinking that, that he's going to actually leave his wife. <laughs> That's who she is. <laughs> I'm sure she thinks of herself as his girlfriend, and uh, he does not think of her that way. As as <clears throat> as, as his future wife. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know, I don't I don't think that's what he's thinking. <laughs> No, that's what she thinks of. She thinks that she's, right. you know, Mrs. She, Arthur, number right. two, three, four, whatever it is. Who knows, you know, if he's been doing this, uh, uh, you know, for, for a long We never get to meet Arthur. I would love to have met this guy in this movie just for a second, just to see what it is that they're that, that they're trying to show us. But on the other hand, you know, I think it actually is good that we get to use our imagination here <laughs> instead of having mm -hmm. to really worry about, you know, who he is and, and things like that. because. Well, you know, the know. nice thing about doing it this way is everyone, I think, you get to a certain point where I th maybe not everybody, but a vast majority of us probably have known somebody who's caught in this kind of a situation. And by not showing his face or giving us anything besides our imagination, we can plug in our own experiences or memories of having people in our lives who have found themselves in the same kind of predicament. Right. That's true. That's a, that's a very good point. And, uh, you know, I, th I think Rob Reiner and Nora Ephron knew that. And that's why they would do that. You know, here you have, I mean, you always have in movies these these characters who just, you know, who sometimes they're more pivotal, pivotal, well, sometimes they're more pivotal 
than in others. But in this case, here you have a guy who is very pivotal to Marie's story. You know, he's not Mm -hmm. pivotal. Well, actually, he's also pivotal to the full story, but we'll have to get there in a few weeks about the fact of, you know, how Marie just, you know, completely forgets about him at some point. You know, they, they, you know, this is, I think, one of the last times that they mention him. Maybe they mention him a little later, Um, but he eventually just disappears without any real explanation as to what she did in order to stop things. You know, but but at this point, at least, you know, she's very important in his life. Uh, sorry, she is, no, he is very important in her life. Sorry, <laughs> that makes a little more sense. <laughs> you know, he thinks that she, I keep saying he, sh- Marie, <laughs> I don't know why I keep doing Are that. Are you okay? I'm perfectly fine. I know it's Friday. It's been a long week. <laughs> it's been a long week. Exactly. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's four o'clock in the afternoon for me. It's a long day. What can I say? Uh, so Marie feels that Arthur is very important in her life. And, you know, but the funny thing is she keeps snooping around to, and she finds all these, these little receipts all over the place, which I, you, you think he's leaving them around on purpose or he just doesn't care. I think he doesn't care. I don't think he even thinks that she's snooping. I think he's gotten away with this for so long and how many, who knows how many other times he's tried to do the same thing. I don't think he cares. Right. Right. I mean, I find it a little strange that he's walking around with a receipt in his briefcase for a nightgown that he bought for his wife. I don't know if that's the place you would put a receipt. You know, if, you know, if he was trying to hide it, you know, from, from his wife, then, you know, well, first of all, then you could just burn it. You know, if that's the case, you don't have to keep the receipt. <laughs> but well, I mean, if it's for his wife and she and her his wife found it, it wouldn't be a big deal. I think he just wants to keep a surprise from her, and he's just used to keeping his personal effects in his briefcase. Could be. I don't know. Because what if he has to return it? What if it turns out he got the wrong size or she doesn't like it? And well, where's he? Where's he keeping the nightgown? You know, and how does well, she know? know he, maybe, how does she know that? It's we don't a, know if she if he's given it to her yet. Right. But also then the question is, she only found a receipt. Maybe he actually bought the nightgown for her and she is, you know, he hasn't given it to her yet. Oh, there's a thought. Yeah. So mm, why does Yeah. So why does Marie just instantly assume the nightgown is for the wife? Right. The the, the kitchen table or the dining room table, I can understand. OK, that's for the wife, <laughs> you know, but here I don't think so. You know, I, I have a feeling. Interesting. That it you know could what? Be I never either. even thought of it that way. Well, that's why we're doing this, Alan, so we can talk about things that we never thought about. We never would have even, you know, would have crossed our minds. You know, absolutely. We... <laughs> oh my god, that is such a good point. Maybe it was for her, and that's why it was in his briefcase. But she's just, which gives you a little insight into Marie. She's not necessarily a hundred percent confident. You would think if she was a hundred percent confident this relationship was heading in the right direction. She would have assumed, well, that's got to be for me. Exactly. That's right. Maybe it's not the right size. Mm. Maybe it's a different size. You know, that, that's the only thing. The that only could, way. That's right. That's the only way that you could really believe it. Unless she always says that she doesn't like purple and it's a purple nightgown or something like that. You know, something from right. that. But, but they don't give us any of that detail. So you could read into it, but we don't know. Right. Exactly. Which is why I love doing this. You know, we get to to <laughs> to, to think of things that that that. People who made the movie probably don't even think about, you know, hmm. I doubt I doubt that Rob Reiner and Nora Ephron thought about the fact that maybe this could be Marie's nightgown. You never know. But we, hmm. we haven't even gotten into this yet. <laughs> We've been talking for, for, for seven, eight minutes and we haven't even gotten to this minute yet. So 
the the basically after uh, Marie mentions the fact that she found yesterday, she mentioned the fact that she found the $120 uh, receipt for the nightgown for his wife. And then she goes, I don't think he's ever going to leave her. And that's how yesterday's episode ended. And today begins with Sally going, nobody thinks he's ever going to leave her, <laughs> which is such a great line. It's such a friend line. It's something that only a real friend would say. Right. You know, not even cushioning the blow. It's, that's right. it's right there in your face. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it just it just works really, really well the way that they, they do it. And and I love Carrie Fisher slash Marie's response to this. She goes, You're right. You're right. I know you're right. <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's a phrase that a friend of mine, he and I, we used to always say that to each other. We'd always say, You're right, you're right, I know you're right. And just quoting exactly the way that she does it, because the intonation is just great the way she says it. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think she's trying to convince herself here? I mean, she's completely in denial. Um, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think this is one of those moments where she still likes being in denial, but she's admitting that there's there is that lingering doubt in the back of her mind. So she's she's admitting it to her best friend. Whether or not she would have admitted this to a an acquaintance or somebody at work, but she's at least admitting it to Sally. Right. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. And. At this point, we we get a shot of more of the book titles, and so we're we're now going to actually start talking about some of these book titles that are sitting on this shelf. Now we talked about this yesterday, and I I kept you in suspense about it because I decided that I wanted to talk about it just today instead of just yesterday. So there there are tons of books that we get to see on here, and you were under the impression, and I was too before I did a little bit of research, that these were all fake books, but apparently they are mm-hmm. all real books, and a lot of them you can still get today. You can you can buy them online. You can find uh, you know copies of them. So the the first one that I that that I want to talk about is a a book called uh, Love Shock: How to Recover from a Broken Heart and Love Again by uh, Connie Church and and Stephen Gullo. Now the reason I know that these are real books and this is all in a real bookstore is that book debuted on January first, nineteen eighty eight. Okay, so. This this movie was filmed. We, we talked about it earlier in the week that they they filmed the the Giants game in October. So this is sometime over the period of 1988. So you know this book came out not long beforehand. You know within a year, you can buy it today for 39.91 if you want. Um, if you want a, a a new copy, if you want a used copy, you can actually find something for 4.25 or 4.26 actually. Um, so. I mean, it, it, it's great the way that, that uh, you know, you can actually just find these books that are just sitting there mm-hmm. on the shelves. So the, the next book that I saw well, is – yeah, go ahead. Hold on a second. I think that book title actually works very well subtly in this movie for what this movie is doing with two people who are in the middle of trying to deal with couples and relationships and breakups. Just about every one of these books that I'm going to talk about fits that category. You know, they knew what section to go to and they knew whether they placed the books on the stand or the books were already there. Because you, you do notice that some of them, there there are books that are listed there that are twice. You know, they have repeat mm. of some of the, the books, the way that they're they're shown there. But, you know, some of the some of the they, they're all relationship related and most of them have some connection to when Harry met Sally with the way that uh you know, with the way that the characters act and the way that things, uh, you know, happen throughout the the course of of the the movie. So yeah, 
Love Shark definitely fits in there. So here you have the next one, which is, you know, some of these you can only see part of the titles. So I had to, you know, really dig deep to try and find the, the full titles. And, and I found a lot of them. So the next one that I found was uh, Crisis, Heterosexual Behavior in the Age of AIDS by uh, William Masters, Virginia Johnson, and Robert uh, Kaladny. Okay. So uh, this, this is a book that you can also uh, find right now if you want. And uh, it, it also came out in the beginning of January 1988. You can buy a hardcover, uh, a new, new uh, uh, version of it. In What's really strange is you can buy a hard copy, hard copy version for $6.48, but the paperback costs $31.36. So I, I don't really know how that really works, why why it's like that, but I don't know. So th- the authors of this book are Masters and Johnson. Are you familiar with Masters and Johnson? You've never heard of them? Not not just that way. Maybe I have had uh, a knowledge of some of their other publications and books, but I not just saying it out loud that way. Well, no, they're they're not they're not uh, famous for for their publications. They're famous for their research. They were the first sex researchers. In the 1950s, they they started you know they they came around came out at the same time as um oh what's his name there's there's another famous one the one that Liam Neeson played Kinsey Kinsey came out they they both start they all started around the same time in the 50s with a whole bunch of uh, research uh, about uh, about sex so William hmm. Howell Masters was born December 27th 1915 and passed away February 16th 2001 um, he was originally a gynecologist. Who became, uh, who started a, a research team and his partner was a research assistant named Virginia E. Johnson. And they pioneered, uh, research in the nature of human sexual response and the diagnosis and treatment of sexual dysfunctions and disorders from 1957 until the nineties. So, you know, when this movie came out, they were still doing their research at the time. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's, what's, what's interesting to me is the fact that the two of them were married to other people at the time, you know, when they're doing all this research. Um, and they, they actually both ended up getting divorced and they married one another 14 years after they started working together. I guess they figured, let's just finally make it uh, official, you know, after they're doing all this well, uh, guess, research. You know, you, you know it's, it's a place where you can take work. your work home with you. <laughs> Well, I guess uh, the work wife became the actual wife. That's right. Exactly. Um, By the way, do you have that phrase? I'm I'm curious about that. We it's something I know we hear about a lot in America, especially when uh, a man may have a a right hand uh, person in their organization or on their team that's of the opposite sex, and they go by the term work wife because they're always like having to contact and call and talk, and it feels like, oh, my God, that's my work wife. I just want to go home to get away from her. You know? um, do you have that in uh, your country? Have you yeah, of course. Have you heard that phrase of being of course. having of course. work wife? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But, but, you know, I don't, I don't use that phrase because, you know. Well, you I, say I, that. I don't, I don't know. I don't live there. <laughs> no, but I'm saying I wouldn't use that phrase. That's what I'm saying. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't call someone in my work, my work wife, especially not in front of my wife. Uh, <laughs> that's not the type of thing. Well, no, te- technically, that, that term usually is because it's somebody that the wife knows is connected with whatever the husband's doing. Or, what, or it can be a work husband, obviously, a spouse. Right. But your spouse right. is aware of her. And like if I'm, I'm yes. just going to use the one perspective. But it's because you're so – whatever the project, whatever you're doing, you have to be in constant communication. So it's not weird she's calling the house or texting or you having to stop to go uh, meet somebody together 
for landing a deal, whatever. So it's more than just working. Yeah, okay. with. It's right. almost I like a right. I definitely have that, but I'm just saying I just don't, but but on purpose I don't refer to it that way. There is okay, yeah. you know, within my my real work I do have that, but and my wife is aware of the the you know the women that are in my office, but you know <laughs> I never refer to them that way because that that okay. would that would be you know danger danger Will Robinson. There's certain things you just don't do. Right, <laughs> right. You can only push understanding so far. <laughs> correct. That is correct. And I think it works both ways too. I don't think I would want to, you know, have, have my wife refer to a work husband, you know, at the same time either, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm sure you're the same way too. Yep. You know, uh, you know, too much jealousy there, too much jealousy. <laughs> well, I will tell you this, uh, something my, my current wife and I, you know, because we both talked about uh, early in the week, sharing our stories, we are on, this is marriage two for us. Um, I find jealousy to be the most pointless, useless, and reckless emotion. I wish if I could get rid of one human emotion, that would be it. A lot of times you can look at negative emotions like anger or fear. Sometimes you can say, well, you need anger to maybe motivate you, or fear might keep you from going and doing something stupid. There is nothing positive. There is no way to spin jealousy leads to something good. It never does. No. No, that that I completely agree with you on, uh, but it's it's out there. It's it, not something right, that we can it, change. It is in fact out there, and I don't think it's going anywhere. I I personally have no. done everything I can to to completely remove it from my life. I don't think about it with other people, with other things. Um, I've long come to the decision that if my if my wife decided you know she was going to go do things behind my back, I'm not going to worry myself sick on the what if, and I'm not going to be constantly chasing or, or spying or looking after. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to live my life and I'm going to hope to be the best person I can be. And she'll want to be with me. But we know human beings, if she chooses to go somewhere else, I can't stop her. So why bother wasting all that energy on stupidity? Wait till it happens before you decide to deal with it. That is correct. And how about this? Do the things in your relationship you should be doing every day anyway. So that way that doesn't happen. That's correct. That's correct. So back to Masters and Johnson. <laughs> Sorry. I was doing my own. No, that's okay. Relationship that's advice. okay. That's all right. Yeah. yeah. So um, Johnson is Virginia E. Johnson, who was born Mary Virginia Eshelman. She was born February 11th, 1925. So she was 10 years younger than him. And she passed away on July 24th, 2013, which means that she outlived him by 12 years, 12 and a half years. Um, so I mentioned that the two of them got married in 1971, but they actually divorced in 1993. So, and as I mentioned, they were doing research up until the 90s. So I guess, you know, they just ran out of things to do research on. <laughs> they uh, realized when the research <laughs> ran out, they really didn't like each other. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, all we had Who in knows? common was our work, and now we don't even have that anymore. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, well. So I'm not actually surprised you've never heard of them before. That's interesting. Uh, here's the thing. I have never found that area of – and even being a psych major, that's what I get my degree was in psychology in, in, in college, was I never found the study of sex or sex relations or physicality. I've never gone down that path. I've certainly looked at some of the okay. modern stuff today like the love languages and how to communicate better, but I've not really looked at the on that side, so I've just not exposed myself to that kind of research. Right. Okay. That's fair. 
I, I didn't say, uh, you know, I just, I knew about, I, as, as you know, and everyone who's listening, I know a lot of things about a little, I know a little about a lot of things, right. You know, which is, you know, which, which is something that actually fascinated me as a kid. I remember I would go to the, you know, go to the library back when, you know, we have to, we used to have to go to the library to do research projects for, for school, mm-hmm. you know, and I would walk over to the librarian and I say, okay, I need to do a project on, and I give some subject that I knew nothing about. And the librarian would go, oh, okay, so you need to go get this book and that book and this one, and this is the area. And like she, she or he would know it right away. And it always fascinated me, you know, that, that I didn't need to explain what I was looking for. I just said the title and they were like, oh, I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so, you know, because I'm, I've always been a trivia freak all my life. So, you know, I look at it from that perspective that, that I know a little bit about a lot of different things. And now you know, you're so the person that's, I was a very curious kid and I'm still a curious person. There yep. you go. Well, no, now they will just go to Wikipedia. Well, they could, but but <laughs> your personal – well, if your kids are like my kids because I drive them bananas because they know I've been around a little bit longer than them, especially when they were younger. They would say, Dad, what is – or how do I find out or who was – I'm like, if only someone had invented a magic box where you could put a question and it would come back with answers. I'm like, Dad, yes. I don't want to look it up. I want you to tell me. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a similar father that – that I will not give answers to my kids. They have to find it on their own. I will help them later on if they need to, but I want them to first learn how to do things on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, which which sometimes drives me nuts that that they just want to be so lazy and they want me to give them all the answers. Right. You know, even sometimes, even sometimes they'll say, "Did I do this right?" And I'm like, "Well, what do you think? <laughs> did you do it right? <laughs> yeah. Check well, your work. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Dad. <laughs> exactly. More or less." So the, the next book that, that we'll come up to is a book called Cold Feet, Why Men Don't Commit. Again, <laughs> perfect for, for, for Harry. This book came out on April 19th, 1988. It was written by Sonia Rhodes and Marlon Potach. And the, the blurb from the, the book is, in explaining why men of the 80s seem unable to draw close to women, two clinicians specializing in couples therapy outlined three distinct types of males, five levels of commitment and strategies for improving relationships. Uh, I think this is a book that Harry should have bought. Uh, it definitely makes sense, the way that that works there. Um, you can actually buy this today for $6.48 um, uh, for the hardcover or the... Paperback is six twelve. Again, I don't know how the whole, you know, the 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 cost system works of how you, you know, like why a hardcover and a paperback would be very similar price now, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Whatever. Yeah. Right. But I mean, I love the 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 the, the sub the the subtitle of this book is so it's cold uh, cold feet why men don't commit and this is. How to, how to tell a good enough guy from a good for nothing. The five <laughs> levels of commitment, strategies for relationships, sexual and emotional, new hope for the new male, and much more. <laughs> so it, it's funny that, that Sally and Marie are standing in this area when actually Harry's the one who should be staring, standing there. You know, maybe he's in personal growth because he's staring at the books and he's waiting for these two women to move away so he can go, uh, you know, check out what books are there. That, okay, that's what I wanted to know from your perspective. And I know we'll get into the minute. You still got probably some other books to go through. It yeah, felt a it little, is. and I know times change, but it felt a little creepy, like a creeperish. Uh, him just kind of leering around the corner and then pretending to be reading a book, but then 
I, it just felt weird. Yeah. You're right. Um, all right. So I, I have a few more books to, that, that I'll mention here. I have, I have two, two more that I have full information about and then another one. With, all right. I'll, I'll do the one that I have little information on this. There's a book called I'm So Wonderful, Why Am I Alone? And that also came out on the 20th of April, 1988. That one I don't have any information about. Um, I, I wasn't able to, to, to find out how much that one would cost today. Um, there, there's another one, uh, Don't Stop Now, You're Killing Me. Um, I Love You, Let's Work It Out. You know, again, these are all real titles. Then there's another one which appears twice, which is uh, Making Life Right When It Feels All Wrong. <laughs> I love these titles. This is awesome. And they're real. That's the that's the the irony of the whole thing. Then the next one is uh, sex with confidence: how to achieve physical and emotional int intimacy in the new sexual age. Again, perfect for 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 Harry. You know, it, it's a book that discusses the underlying causes of modern culture's common deviations from Judeo-Christian morality in terms of sexual practice and examines the moral implications of the teaching roles in family, in religion, and family. Mm. So heavy. Exactly. Yes. Very, very much so. And then the final book is a book called Sex and Morality. Who is teaching our sex standards? Okay. That is a book that is written by Dr. Ruth Westheimer. I know and Dr. Ruth. Dr. Louis Lieberman. That's right. So, all right. The first question I'm going to ask you then is, okay, what do you know about Dr. Ruth? The Joy of Sex. Okay. Do, do, you, know, do you know her full name, her real name? Uh, no. I just know what she went by with her brand. <laughs> Right. So she's Carola Ruth Westheimer, um, and her original last name was Siegel. She was born on June 4th, 1928, and she is a German-American sex therapist, talk show host, author, professional Holocaust survivor, and former Haganah sniper. Okay, do you know what a Haganah sniper is? No. Is well, I, I know what a sniper is, okay. but I can't believe – right. Okay. She was during he was in the War of Independence in Israel in 1948, and she was a sniper. That's first of all, that's cool. But that's wow. Yes. <laughs> that's amazing. Yes. So she 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 was born in Germany when the Nazis came to power. Um, her parents uh, sent her when she was 10 years old uh, to Switzerland for safety, and she stayed there for a few years. Her parents were were killed in the concentration camps. Um, after World War II en ended, she immigrated to uh, Palestine, and she was only she she is still oh I, I'm assuming she's still the same height, but she might have shrunk a little bit. But she was four foot seven at the time, and she joined the Haganah, which was the Israeli um, I guess you could say rebels at the time, you know, that, that were trying to fight. And she was trained as a sniper, but but never actually fought in combat because on her 20th birthday. So apparently on June 4th, 1948, she was seriously wounded by an exploding shell from mortar fire uh, when she was uh, living in, in Jerusalem during the, the War of Independence at that time. And she almost lost both of her feet. Really? So she was then, yeah, she was then, sent, she then moved to Paris and, um, you know, began, began uh, physical therapy and everything like that. And then she started studying psychology at the Sorbonne, 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 don't know how to pronounce it. And then in 1956, she immigrated to the, to the U.S. 
and she put herself through graduate school by working as a maid and then earned a MA in, in sociology in 1959. And then when she was 42 in 1970, she earned her doctorate from Columbia University. Wow. This is somebody who just is always it's like you, always wanting to learn something. That's right. That's right. And then in 1980, okay, so she was, well, she's 52 at the time. Okay, she started a radio call-in show called Sexually Speaking, which lasted for a decade. In 1983, it became the top-rated radio show in in the area, and and then it became and then she ended up uh, launching a TV show in 1985, which was known as the Dr. Ruth Show, which attracted two million viewers every week. I mean, she really became very popular. She's the author of 45 books, okay, including the one that we just mentioned here, Sex mm-hmm. and Morality, who is teaching our sex standards. Um, they, uh, someone wrote a play about her life called Becoming Dr. Ruth. <laughs> there, there's, there's a documentary called Ask Dr. Ruth, which was actually very interesting. I, I saw it uh, last year. It was uh, very interesting, the, the, the whole play. Um, she... She has been a very outspoken uh, advocate about uh, teaching about sex and things like that over the years. I've, it's very funny that a um, there's a journalist who described her voice as a cross between Henry Kissinger and Minnie Mouse. <laughs> that, that's actually perfect. <laughs> exactly. I've never heard that, but that is perfect. You know, you, if you're not going to include links, you should probably, or if you, this would be a good place to insert maybe just a minute of her talking because that's perfect. Okay, I, I will, I will uh, mark it down that I should do that. Then, yes, because uh, honestly, there may be members of our audience who were not around when Dr. Ruth was like the household name, and so many movies and TV shows, and she even made cameos and things because she was so well known. Yes, yes, I remember she was on an episode of Quantum Leap. Where Sam leapt into her mm-hmm. <laughs> and had to get two of her producers to get to get together. It was just great. It was just really, and that was like '93. You know, that was like right at the peak of her her popularity. You know, so that really works. And and then the 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 scene continues. Okay, we're not we're not going to talk about any more of the books. I think we we've I think we've we've done enough with the books. <laughs> Okay. Because you know, they as we said, they they all really fit into what Harry and Sally are going. Sal, Harry and Sally are going through. Then Marie right. looks up and she, you know, we see in the distance there there's someone standing at the end of the aisle, you know, peeking out through the corner of a book, which is really funny. Unfortunately, we can't see the name of the book, which uh, if if we could, I would have. Uh, you know, tried to try to find a little bit of information about that, and then she says to, to she she like looks suspiciously at him, and then walks slowly over to Sally, and then she says, "Someone is staring at you in personal growth." Now, why does Marie automatically think that that Harry is staring at Sally uh, as opposed to as know, opposed to her or or someone I else? I was wondering, I was wondering that except. 
doesn't she like kind of come over to Sally in the shot? You see her kind of yeah, she walks her over, which makes me believe which makes me believe that she saw his his eye line was not to her, but towards Sally. Right. Okay. Like she would have seen because of the, the distance that it wasn't making eye contact with her. Right. Okay. That that is probably the answer to that. But you know, it, it it's just funny that, you know, Sally is completely oblivious. You know that that someone's looking at her because you know she's she's too busy reading a book or looking at a book to see what uh, you know whether whether is something that she should buy. You know, I always find that interesting. Also, that people go to bookstores and they just sit there and read the books instead of you know like I'm going to save a few bucks. <laughs> I'll just sit here and read it instead of buying it. I, I I've always wondered that why it's still the coffee shop. I get it if you know you want to create an atmosphere where maybe you want to read a little bit, make sure before you buy the book, but I'm like you. I'm like, hey, buy the book, go home. That's right. <laughs> not, not. Let me serve you coffee and a and a donut or a beverage, and or uh, you can hang out for five hours here in the coffee sh- or in the bookstore. Right. Or or show up every day and just read a read a chapter a day, you know, and then you'll eventually finish the book, <laughs> and then you you save <laughs> five or ten bucks or whatever it is that you were trying to do. I don't know. <laughs> It, of course, if you're buying a, a if you're buying a five dollar coffee that probably costs them twelve cents, they probably don't care. Right, that's probably true also. <laughs> uh, and then Sally looks up, sees Harry, and goes, "Oh, I know him. You'd like him. He's married." And I love this line. It's such <laughs> it's such a great line because it it mm-hmm. it it just completely skewers Marie. You know, basically saying. You only like married men. <laughs> so, of course, you're going to like this guy. <laughs> and then their conversation mm-hmm. continues, and Marie goes, who is he? And she goes, Harry Burns. He's a political consultant. Marie says, he's cute. You think he's cute? And then Marie changes the subject and goes, how do you know he's married? Because last time I saw him, he was getting married. When was that? <laughs> uh, six years ago. So he might not be married anymore. <laughs> how ironic. Yeah. So first of all, it's 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 very facetious of Marie to say that. It's as if they're they're what what she's trying to say here is is that no marriage is going to last anyway. So if it's been six years, mm-hmm. you know, then the odds of him still being married are are slim to none. You know, I guess this was something in the eighties that that uh, you know you, you wouldn't nobody estimate. stays married anymore. That's right. I mean, you wouldn't look at somebody even nowadays. I wouldn't look at somebody and say, "Oh, well, they were." I knew them. I knew they got married five years ago, so they're probably not together anymore. I, it would be the opposite. I would say, "Okay, they got married five years ago. They're probably still together, unless you know something mm-hmm. otherwise." You know, but Marie has exactly. a little, a little skewed, skewed view on on the world, and especially on on someone's love life and things like that. Just you know? the hair. Yeah, just just a little bit. You know, not someone. You know, Princess Leia. I don't know. <laughs> Don't know, but but what I find very but interesting. Once again, we talked about this. We we talked about it earlier this week. They do her character in such a way that you don't think of her as kind of a bad person for sleeping with a married Correct. man. Mm-hmm. You kind of get her as she's troubled in terms of her relationships, but she's not a bad person. You still like her, and it's not because she's Princess Leia. We've mentioned that a few times, kind of yeah. in, tongue in cheek, but looking at it as an actual story character, she's a likable character. Right. I, I completely agree with you on that. She's a very, I mean, most of the characters, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anybody here that's not likable. You know, even in a few weeks, we'll, we'll see Helen. It's not as if she's, she's not likable, but she's just, you know, 
it, it's it's just a few seconds that we get to see her, but you don't you, you know she's supposed to be someone that we find to be cold, and that's it. Right. You can't say I hate her. Well, I was gonna say they do that well enough that you you don't necessarily hate her, but you're ambivalent maybe toward her. Correct. You don't really care. Exactly. I think that that's that's a great way to look at it. You know, for sure. Now, what I find very interesting, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago when they, when they were on the plane. You know, how does Sally remember information about Harry? Like, why is it that important? You know, here we are, uh, you know, five, six years later. I mean, according to the caption, it was five years. She, she obviously gets the, the, the timing slightly off by saying six years, but that's fine. That That's perfectly natural for someone to not remember specifically. But she remembers that he's a political consultant. She remembers who he is. You know, obviously the movie is, is trying mm-hmm. to show – that the two of them have made a lasting in, impact on one another over the, the course of all their their meets over the years. But on the other hand, you know, how many people that you just casually met five years ago are you going to remember information about them if someone if you just bump into them? I've got a perspective on this, which is great because that's my wife. I told her if I ever decided to run for political office, she would have to be glued to my side. Because she can remember people she met once at a party. She just catalogs it. Her brain codes it. So she's like, oh, yeah, you know, this is somebody we met at so-and-so's party six years ago. He works for so-and-so. She, he's, they got two kids. I'm like, how do you retain that? Wow. She just does. She's one of those people that it just sticks in her head. And so all the time, I cannot tell you, because being in radio, I interview generally two or three people every day. So in the course of a year, I probably have had a 1,000 people that I've met in my studio. I don't remember half of them if I ran into them the next day. Oh, wow. I'm like, oh yeah, this is so-and-so and this is so-and-so. I'm like, oh my God, I have, you've got to stick by me and remind me who these people are. Wow. Okay. And it's not because I don't like them or anything. It's just my brain doesn't code them the way hers does. Right. But apparently, so, so I guess Susan is like Sally. <laughs> yeah, very much. She, like for me, this was not strange at all. I'm like, that is that Susan. That is my that is my wife. She just remembers details. Like she won't know that maybe necessarily all the detail, but she'll remember where we were, how long ago it was, what they do, what if whether they were married, if they have kids. It's like, how do you learn all this? And like, well, I ask questions. Okay, but then will she think five years later that they might not be married again? Would that be the first thing that would come no. to her mind or not? No, that would not be. Exactly. So you know. So that's why she's more of, Sally of a Sally. That's right. She's more of a Sally than a Murray. Right. She's definitely more of a Sally. But it's Sally who says that he, she remembers him. Correct. Yeah, and she remembers him very, very easily. You know, mm-hmm. it's like she doesn't even she she doesn't even have to like strain herself. You know, I mean, when they were on the plane five years ago, she had to strain herself to remember Amanda's name, but she didn't have to remember Harry's name. You know, Amanda, who was her friend friend at some point, you know. But apparently Harry made a more lasting impression on her than Amanda did. You know. Maybe guys stick longer. Well, she did spend 18 18 hours in the car with him. That's true. You know, in, in, you know, their 18-hour journey from Chicago to New York that normally takes 12 hours. But okay. (laughs) Right. Well, in well, their world, in their world, it takes 18 hours. There you go. Okay, having girls, uh, we've done road trips where it feels like every 25 minutes, one of them has to stop and use the bathroom. 
Ah, okay. I don't. I, I. I wonder if Sally actually, you know, planned that in their, in their journey when she planned out the whole trip. You know, she planned the stops of where they were going to switch drivers. But I wonder if she also planned, you know, where they would stop to go to the bathroom, or those were the bathroom stops. You know, when we switch every hmm, every hour know. and a half, two hours, whatever it is, you know, to to, to switch off. Hmm, don't know. So then. Things yes, to ponder. <laughs> and then Sally says, also, he's obnoxious. And then Marie goes, oh, this is just like in the movies, remember? In The Lady Vanishes, when she says to him, you're the most obnoxious man I've ever met. And then Sally corrects her, the most contemptible. <laughs> and then Marie goes, then they fall <laughs> madly in love. So, do, not any foreshadowing. No, not at, all, here. not at all. Because she does think he's obnoxious. And mm-hmm. maybe contemptible, possibly. Now, do you know? <laughs> are you familiar with the movie The Lady Vanishes? No. Have you ever heard of it? Nope. Do you know who? Do you know <laughs> who directed it? You well, don't even if know you who tell directed me, it. I might know. Well, obviously, if I tell you, if I give you all the answers, how are you going to learn, Alan? <laughs> I so mean, the title sounds like a Hitchcock movie, but... and it is. You are correct. There you go. See, that's I right. Use some of my parts of my brain. There you go. It was the final. We're still working. That's right. It was the final British film of Alfred Hitchcock's uh, repertoire. Okay, it came out in nineteen thirty eight. I didn't know that. Came out in nineteen thirty eight. It starred uh, Margaret Lockwood and Michael Redgrave, and it was based on a novel that uh, was written two years earlier, "The Wheel Spins" by Ethel Lena White, and it's about about a uh, beautiful English tourist traveling by train in Europe who discovers that a an elderly traveling companion seems to have disappeared from the train. And so she spends the whole time trying to find this woman and figure out where, where, you know, what happened to her. Um, this movie actually caught Hollywood's attention and, you know, they, they got Hitchcock to move to Hollywood after he made this movie and all the rest of his movies were all uh, made in America because uh, David O. Selznick believed that Hitchcock uh, had a future in Hollywood, which uh, I guess he did. You know, he he did he did okay, didn't he? <laughs> Hitchcock. I, I'd say that that was a pretty good call. Yeah. Yes. That was a good call. <laughs> yeah. So the British Film Institute ranks *The Lady Van- Vanishes* as the 35th best British film of the 20th century, and it is uh, considered to be Hitchcock's most renowned British film. Really? Yes. Now, the full quote of, of in the movie uh, that we talk about here is the character Iris, Iris Henderson says, you're the most contemptible person I've ever met in my all of my life. And the, the man's response is, confidentially, I think you're a bit of a stinker, too. <laughs> so the two of them really, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a Harry and Sally moment from that perspective that no one thinks they're going to get together. And somehow they do. They find a way to get together. Somewhere down the line. You know, this goes back to my, a little bit of a personal, my wife and I. Uh, maybe it's because we're northern versus southern and by birth, but we can get into some of the best, what I would call verbal sparring. People around us would think we hate each other. Like, how are you guys even together? Even my <laughs> kids at one point are like, when they were growing up, they're like, do you guys even like each other? Like, yes, we do. We love each other. We just love to spar, too. We verbally spar all the time. But for someone on the outside, they'd go, why do you guys even? But I think it's that 
argument, that 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 passion that we have to argue is the same passion that underlies the relationships that we have. Okay, that's fair. And that's good. That, that keeps things keeps things uh, you know flowing and keeps things. Uh, you always have to stay on your toes. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. Okay, and that, and if that works for you, that that's great. It's the way the way. Now there is only one problem with having a person like that in your life when they're not playing around and you think they are. Right. <laughs> that's when you go. Oh, 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 we're we're really upset. We're not just playing around. Ah, <laughs> oops! I take back everything I said in the last ten minutes. Yes. <laughs> well, by then it's too late. Always too late. So, Alan, you have anything else you want to say about this minute before we get into the script? No, that's uh, I think I think we've done a pretty darn good job coming at it from relationships and what we're seeing and trying to figure out everything from receipts to motivations and people who can remember people who and others who can't. Of course. Yeah, I think I think we've covered the gamut. No question about that. You know, but uh, so the, the script, there is only one thing that's different between the script and the movie. And. It's actually the quote from the the movie The Lady Vanishes, because in the in the movie, so Sally corrects her and says the most contemptible as opposed to obnoxious, and in the script they apparently got mm-hmm. it wrong and they wrote the most hateful. <laughs> so I find it very funny that they didn't do enough they didn't do enough research there. Oh, isn't it funny that maybe Nora Ephron, just because you know how it's that thing, what do they call the Mandela effect, where you kind of misremember something, but you swear that's got to be yes. the way you remember it? I wonder if it took somebody on the set to go, wait a second, that's not what she said. And like, wait, what? <laughs> and then they decided, well, let's go ahead and just fix it on. That's the- right. And they did. And they did. Which is kind of important. If you're going to reference an actual movie, you better get the line True, right. but you have to also think about it. We're, we're thinking about this from today's perspective. Today, it's much easier. You just go to IMDb. You go anywhere. You do a search on Google. You're going to be able to get the full quote. You know, back in 1988, when they were making this, or 1987, when it was being written, it wasn't as simple. You had to go actually rent the movie and find and watch the whole thing in order to find the actual spot where you have that quote. You know, the fact that she knew that there was this quote already is, it gives her, I give her credit for that. You know, for Nora Ephron to say when okay. she's, when she's writing the script, oh, wait, I'm going to use the, the quote from, from the Lady Vanishes, and that really works. You know, so. Okay. Uh, I'll give you that. So we'll, we'll, we'll give Nora Ephron a little bit of leeway here. <laughs> you know, what's, what's mm-hmm. a little leeway, you know, 30, uh, 34 years later? Why not? Oh, she's due. Yeah. She's okay. We'll, 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 we'll right. give her. Uh, unfortunately, Nora's no longer with us, but still, you know. So. Right, but we still yes. give her a pass. Of course, we will give her a pass on this one for sure. <laughs> All right. So every Friday we have a segment called Weekend Romance, where my guests will give their top five uh, romantic comedies. So, Alan, what have you got for us? All right, this is tougher because I which is ironic i don't like comedies like a lot of them i don't like my wife tells me this all the time i said i'm a very funny guy and she goes yeah but you don't like many comedies i said well i've got a very specific thing that works for me comedic wise but i like romantic comedies because there's more to it than just the goofiness as long as you're following the right formula as we mentioned earlier in the week so for me there is only one i would say more recent film that fits in my top five now and I saw it just a couple years ago, but I think it qualifies as a great rom-com. Number five, Crazy Rich Asians. 
that that is the only quote modern rom-com that's in my top five. okay i think there's been too many deviations and trying to write really these crazy side plots and these unlikable characters and they're just trying to reinvent i'm like no 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 do the things that we like and we'll go see that's the movie. Right. so without much uh it shouldn't be a much surprise given the topic of the film that you're discussing minute by minute my number four thanks to you making me watch the whole thing when harry met sally Number three, Pretty Woman. Is there a better story of Cinderella all told all over again than Pretty Woman? Fantastic. My wife and I can watch that anytime. It doesn't feel like it's ever dated or old. <laughs> I love that movie. But okay, it's not you, my have, you have two more. You it's have two more that are coming to mind. Number two. Correct. Look at you. You're like, you, you hey, know, like deduction and reason. Number two. My, I think this would qualify as the first official rom-com that I saw on either rented or in the, in the theater because of that genre. I don't know that I would have gone to see it, but I thought, well, it's got a British sense of humor. I love Monty Python, and I went to go see it. It was four weddings and a funeral. I, I love that my movie. number two. Still hysterical. Yeah, I, I love that movie. And my all-time number one. It is one my wife and I watch at least once a year, Die especially hard. around Christmas. Die we can watch it anytime. <laughs> Almost. It's not a, the only thing is it's not a love. It's not a rom-com. Unfortunately. Yes. Die Hard gets watched <laughs> at the house every year, but love actual. All right. That is a great, great top five. For us. Yeah. For, for us, love actually is one of those films that does an incredible job of how of somehow linking all of the characters together in some way in a very believable fashion. Hollywood tried to emulate it with, I think, New Year's Day or Valentine's Day or a couple of attempts, and they were so bad. Yes. But Love Actually, to this day, we could watch it. We could probably watch it two, three times a year and not get tired of it. And it always, always gives me the good cry at the end. I mean, my wife is like, "You're you cry like a girl. I'm like, hey. Not in today's 21st century can you tell me that. I'm in touch with my emotion. <laughs> All right. That's great. Is there, so now that since you're leaving us uh, today, and maybe you'll be back, well, hopefully, well, or hopefully not. Hopefully no one will, will cancel. But if they do, <laughs> I know where to go. But uh, so you have anything else you want to say about the movie in general? Uh, you know, having not seen it my whole life, until this project, I knew a lot of it. I knew many of the scenes. I knew all of the actors. But I'm glad that you stumbled across uh, or, or asked me to be part of this because it forced me to see a film that really should be in my top five of romantic comedies. And now it is. All right. What did what did it bump out? Do you know? <laughs> um, I, another Julia Roberts movie. I loved Notting Hill. I've always liked Hugh Grant, no matter what. But Notting Hill would have been in my top okay. five. That's fair. I, I like Notting Hill also. I'm, I'm, uh, it's, it's, especially from a, a perspective of someone who who likes movies and likes, you know, it, the idea that they take, okay, how does an actor's life, how can an actor's life be affected, you know, by a quote unquote right. normal person, you know, like a, you know, uh, what, what's what's the the a, a peasant, you know, <laughs> or, <laughs> right. Someone who's not even in your same stratosphere. Exactly. I mean, you've got this super A-list actor worth millions and millions of dollars surrounded by other A-list actors and talent. How can any one person ever match 
up and be part of that world. And I think part of the reason that rocks in that case is she didn't, I mean, she's looking for real and he can't believe that she would ever see anything in him. And it's fantastic. And then at the end, as me, as a guy watching it, I'm like, Ooh, there is, I've got a chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to wait until you. So you're saying there's a there chance <laughs> <laughs> for sure. All right. So Alan, you want to once again, tell people how they can get in touch with Alan Sanders. Yeah. Since you start off saying for the Alan Sanders show, that's uh, my daily digital talk show that I do. I'm affiliated with one of the radio stations in Atlanta, Georgia, WSB. And uh, it started last year full time. Every day I do a political talk show. So it is about the news of the day. If folks are interested in getting my perspective, uh, you can go to the Alan, or do a search for the Alan Sanders show. Um, that one may bend people the wrong way if you don't like certain uh, political topics, but it's nice. I've got other pursuits. My wife and I uh, do a show called the Marriage Fit Podcast where we talk about what it is to be a couple, especially with kids in this modern world. And then uh, much like you with the movies by minutes, I started off with my buddy Walt doing the Wilder Ride where we broke down Young Frankenstein season one. And then we broke down uh, Blazing Saddles season two and then turned it into a talk show, which we try to make sure that they were evergreen with a topic. So even if it's been a couple of years, I think all those guests are worth going back and listening to. Very cool. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Your Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter or you can go to my website, moveyourminute.com. Alan, this has been a great week. Thank you once again for, for joining me. I had a lot of fun. Hopefully you did, too. Hopefully we both learned something. I learned a lot here also. Yeah. So hopefully all the all the I, listeners also have. I would not be back as often as I am. First, if it wasn't that you asked me, but second, if I didn't have such a good time hanging out with you and doing this, just talking about movies. There's so many things going on in the world. When I get to kind of unplug from all of the real world and talk about what's going on in my favorite films, always a good all right. day. Excellent. So uh, I will be back on Monday with a new guest. But until then... I'll have what she's having. I'll have what she's having. Gave me a thrill with all your faults. I love you still. It had to be you. Wonderful you. Had to be you.